John 16 is where we're at today, and so if you would like to stand, if you're able to stand, uh, you can do that. John 16, I'm going to begin reading in verse 16, and we're going to go through verse 24, okay? Here we go. This is Jesus. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Man, let's pray. God, we want just that. We want our joy to be full. Uh, Father, we want what you said in verse 22, that we would have a joy that no one could take away. Father, I pray that you would show us this morning, open our eyes, open our hearts to see how the resurrection brings great joy. I pray that you'd fill our hearts with that joy, God, that we would experience and feel that today. God, we are asking that you would do that in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We're asking in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, so if I read that passage this morning and, and you're like, okay, a little while and you won't see me a little while, you will see me, you'll be sorry. And you're like, I have no idea what he's saying. Hey, guess what? Neither did the disciples, all right? So you're right with Peter, James, and John there, okay? Because they didn't know what he was saying either. They, they didn't understand what he was saying. And Jesus honestly is, is speaking almost like the Riddler here uh, simply because they don't have a comprehension to know what's about to happen. They, they can't get their minds around what's about to happen. And so he tells it this way so that when it happens, they'll be like, oh, that's what he meant, all right? Now, now I get it. Now I see, okay? And, and so here's what Jesus is basically saying. He's saying a little wow, you're not going to see me. Why are they not going to see him? Because he's going to be dead, okay? He, he is telling them, I am going to the cross. I'm, I'm about to be butchered on the cross. I'm about to die. I'm about to put, be put in the grave, and you're not going to see me. And in fact, you're going to sorrow. Like, this, this is going to break your heart. This is going to tear you up. You're going to feel like all is lost. You're going to feel like all the good, all the exciting, all the things that you thought were in your future, you're, you're going you're to think, man, they're gone. If you remember a couple chapters ago, the disciples were so pumped up about Jesus' ministry, about him raising the dead and feeding 5,000 and healing the lame and giving sight to the blind. They are so excited about the kingdom coming. They're already talking about thrones. They're already talking about how Jesus is going to reign, all right? And Jesus is like, okay, what you don't understand, though, is I'm about to die. I'm about to die, and, and your whole world's going to come unravel, and, and, and you're, you're not going to know what to do, all right? So, so. You see me now, but you're not going to see me. I'm going to die, and then, then you're going to have sorrow. 
Not only are you going to have sorrow, but if we keep reading, which don't, we don't have time, but let me jump forward to verse 33. Jesus says, actually, in this world, there are going to be times of sorrow. You know, if, if someone told you that being a Christian means nothing ever bad happens to you again, I'm sorry, they, they, they did not tell the truth because Jesus never, ever said that. In fact, in verse 33 of the same chapter, he said, I have said these things to you, that in me you have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. So in the world, you're going to have brokenness. In the world, there's, there's going to be things that are going to suck the joy right out of you. In the world, you're going you're gonna to encounter people that are going to be cruel and terrible. Life's going to bombard you with pain and tragedy and disappointment and dashed hopes. But what Jesus is about to teach us is that in the resurrection, there is the power to turn every sorrow into joy. There is the power to have a type of joy that cannot be taken away. And I am super interested in that today. I don't know about you guys, but maybe I'm the only one in the room, but I am interested in when, when Jesus describes a joy that is what I would call indomitable, a joy that, that cannot be taken away, a joy that, that that will be forever, okay? So, so let's, let's come back. So he says, all right, you're, 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 there's gonna be a time when you don't see me and you're gonna be sorrowful. But notice he says in verse 20, he says something weird. He says, but the world's gonna rejoice, all right? He says, you're gonna be tore up. You're gonna weep and lament, but the world is gonna rejoice. Now, now why would anybody rejoice over the murder of Jesus? Um, I, I don't have any answer for that for you, except that here's what I know. The, the same reason that, that the people of Jesus' day Rejoiced over his death is the same reason that many Germans in Nazi, uh, Nazi Germany during World War II rejoiced over the Holocaust of hundreds of thousands of Jews. It's the same reason that, that many Japanese had killing contests and the rape of Nanking and then killed over two, three, four hundred thousand, depending on the estimates of people, 20 to 25,000 women uh, were raped. Uh, it's the same reason why in our day they would light up the New York uh, Trade Center Twin Towers pink in celebration over the right to murder babies in the womb at any time for any reason. I, I actually don't understand any of those things, but I understand what the Bible tells me is that sin is really powerful in blinding people. Sin, sin is really powerful in, in, in keeping us from the truth. And so Jesus rightly knew that, that he would be butchered on the cross and many would rejoice over that while his disciples would be tore up. But here's the beautiful thing. The same event that initially produces sorrow can ultimately produce great joy. So Jesus is telling them, all right, you're, you're not going to see me. You're going to be tore up. You're going to have great sorrow. But I'm telling you, something's going to happen. You're going to see me again. And when you do, he's talking about the resurrection. When you do, you're going to have a joy that can't be taken away. All right. In, in many ways, have you ever thought about this? The cross was the worst thing that ever happened, okay? Now, now you may not think that. You may think, man, the things you just described, those are pretty horrible things, and they absolutely were pretty horrible things, all right? But, but, but depending on how you judge the worst things, like, like when, I, when I think of a tragedy, when I think of a murder even, I kind of think of, well, how, how innocent was the person, right? Or how, how, how much did, did the person not deserve to die, okay? So, so, for instance, when you hear about an evil person dying, okay? So maybe someone who was a horrible person hurt many people. Maybe Hitler, okay? When you hear about Hitler's death, all right? Maybe you're like, well, that was not right, but, you know, there's a part of you that says they kind of deserve that, right? And then you hear about an innocent bystander being killed. Maybe someone that's just 
They just happen to be at the wrong place in the wrong time. You're like, that's a tragedy. And then maybe you hear about somebody who invested their life in caring for or giving to someone, and that someone turns around and murders them. You're like, man, that's the worst kind of tragedy at all of all. Well, let me tell you about Jesus, okay? So the God who created every good thing, the God who designed you to experience love and joy and satisfaction and ice cream, okay? That God, the God who, who wired you to be able to relate and to, to design the family and friendships, the God who did all that, the God who sustains us and prospers us and literally gives us every breath, that God comes to earth. Like he steps out of the heavens in, into the form of man and, and he shows us the kingdom and we murder him. I mean, in many ways, the cross was the worst thing, okay? But what Jesus says here is God's going to turn the cross that was the worst thing actually into the best thing. Like, like you're going to see me again. He says, you're going to rejoice, okay? So the same thing that made you horribly sorrowful, actually, you're going to come to rejoice in. The worst thing is going to become the best thing. Now you're thinking, how could that ever happen, Pastor? How could a, a, a terrible thing, how could a terrible, painful thing actually turn into a beautiful, wonderful thing. Well, Jesus says, well, hey, how about this illustration? Maybe this will help you. In verse 21, he says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Now, I've got to see this live five times, okay? So I can tell you that it's true. Uh, we didn't let Emma have any drugs any of the five times. I was like, honey, I'm going to have to preach on this. So I want to see it live. That's not why. But, you know, she didn't get any drugs, okay? So, so I've got to see this, and let, let me assure you, it seemed to me, from the, a bystander's perspective, that she was in terrible pain, okay? It seemed to me that she travailed. It seemed to me that this baby was causing her an infinite amount of pain and sorrow. I mean, she, she travailed. You know, at one point she grabbed my, well, I don't need to tell you that story. But anyway, you know, she was really in sorrow, okay? All right? But here's the incredible thing. Once that baby was born, I, I can tell you, all five times she's holding that little slimy, you know, uh, thing's just been born. And all the sorrow, all the pain of the childbirth has been covered in joy. You know what, not once, not once did she take little Hannah or little Addie or little Haddon or little Avery or little Haven into her arms. Not once did she say, man, this was not worth it, okay? <laughs> she didn't. She would tell you today, she would tell you today that the, the pain was transformed into joy, okay? Jesus says, that's what's going to happen with the cross, the cross that, that was the worst thing to ever happen is actually going to be the best thing to ever happen for you and I. Paul actually says in Galatians, we come to boast in the cross. That's a crazy statement, you know. The cross was an execution instrument. That's like saying, man, we boast in the electric chair. I mean, for, for people in Paul's day, they, they couldn't have got their mind around that. But Paul says, man, when, when you understand that the cross of Jesus is the only means by which your sin is taken away, it's the only means by which you can you can unload your guilt and you can be free of the wrath of God it's the only means by which you can be saved we come to see that the cross turns into the best thing because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ now if Jesus had never raised if they had killed him and he just stayed dead and he's still in the tomb today it would be the worst thing 
Like, like God would have stepped out of humanity or stepped out of the heavens into humanity to save us and we killed him and he's gone. Okay? But that's not what happened. Jesus said, a little while you won't see me, that's the cross, a little while you will see me and you will rejoice and no one can take away your joy. You see, the resurrection turned the cross into the only means of life for you and I. Man, I tell you, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15. If you have a chance today on Easter Sunday, it'd be great for you to read it. Just read 1 Corinthians 15. It's all about the resurrection. And here's Paul's thought. Let me kind of give you an outline of where he goes. Basically, he says, if there is no resurrection, he's like, let's imagine that, okay? Let's just imagine that Jesus did not rise from the dead, okay? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then none of this matters, okay? And by this, I mean everything, okay? Your job doesn't matter. Your family doesn't matter. Your mothering doesn't matter. Your, 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 uh, your fathering doesn't matter. Um, your relationships don't matter. Your vacation doesn't Absolutely nothing matters. Paul says if there's no resurrection, then none of this has meaning, okay? Because we're all going to die and we're going to be under the wrath of God forever and ever. There will be no hope. There will be no bright side. There will be no relationships in the future. None of this will ever, we, we will be forever so long under the wrath of God. We won't even remember what happened. He says if there's no resurrection, then we ought to just eat, drink because tomorrow we die. He posed to just get whatever little bit of pleasure you can out of life, which is actually what a lot of people do, because you're dead, and after you're dead, it's just the wrath of God for you. But then he comes back and says, but there is a resurrection. You see, Jesus did come out of that tomb, and because he came out of that tomb, I love the way he ends the chapter. In verse 58, he says, therefore be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. You see, because there is a resurrection, this matters. Okay, right now, this matters. You hearing the word of God matters. You bringing your children to church, it matters. Every good work you do, it matters. Every effort that you apply to endure in your faith, all of that will matter for eternity. Like what you do now will be rewarded and it will matter forever. Nothing will ever be in vain because of the resurrection of Jesus. So the resurrection changes everything. It changes it all. And it brings a joy. That is, according to Jesus, he says, no one can take your joy away, a joy that's indomitable. Now, if you have a joy apart from the resurrection, let me tell you, there are a thousand things that are going to try to steal that joy. Have you noticed that? That when your joy is in other things, okay, when your joy is in, is in food, when your joy is in money, when your joy is in the pleasure of this world, when your joy is in your family, let me tell you, there are a thousand things trying to wrench that joy away from you, and most of the time it, it succeeds, okay? If your joy is not in the resurrection, then stress, it's got a grip on your joy, doesn't it? You guys, you guys resonate with that? You try to be joyful, but man, the stresses of, of, of this life just pull and they tug at your joy. Anxiety, anxiety for a lot of people is like a crowbar. Just they're trying to hold on to their joy, and there's this crowbar just trying to pry it out of them. Fear, Fear can it just explosively jar joy right out of your life. Discontent will slowly poison you and weaken your hold on joy. Sin, sin is the great joy stealer. There's, there, there are certain truths that are just so helpful to me in my Christian life. And one of them is this, sin always brings misery, okay? No matter how you feel about it, no matter what, yeah, how you're tempted, no matter what the devil is telling you, no, no matter this, this, this pleasure that, that, that supposedly awaits you with sin, anything that, that is, is wrought in unbelief 
always leads to misery. Sin is the great joy stealer. Guilt. Guilt is like a choking fog. I was talking with, with a guy this week, and man, he's just got this, this fog of guilt that just steals every bit of joy out of his life. And finally, death. If you don't have the resurrection, death will rip joy out of your life with such force it will tear you apart forever. But Jesus says, the realities of the resurrection will bring a joy that no one can take. Man, do you guys see that? I'm gonna read it one more time. Actually, a whole bunch of times, okay? Verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy. I love that verse. No one, you're gonna see me, you're gonna rejoice. No one will be able to take your joy, okay? So Jesus is saying, I'm gonna rise from the dead, And when I do, I'm going to give you something that will enable you to have indomitable joy. Now, I want want to talk about that right now, okay? So what is it that the resurrection does that brings us this indomitable joy, okay? So I've got got three or four things for you here. There's a whole bunch of them probably, but let me just give you three or four. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus means that he is unstoppable, okay? What I mean by that is you cannot thwart him. He cannot be stopped. He can, nothing can keep Jesus from doing exactly what he said he would do, right? You know what I love about the Bible? What I love about the Bible is there, there are passages that I have read for 20 years, 25 years since I've been a Christian. And, and, and all of a sudden, like, like I just kind of breezed over and breezed over and breezed over them. And then all of a sudden, like, they'll have this new meaning for me. Okay, one of those passages is the passage about the guards guarding the tomb, okay? I talked about it last Easter, actually, a little bit. But in the last year, like, that dude gets me so excited. I, I almost, like, it's almost hilarious. Like, I think God has a sense of humor in a lot of things he does, okay? And so when, when you go to Matthew and you read about the, uh, the passage where the guards are guarding the tomb, okay? So you find it in Matthew 27. It's says that the Jews knew that Jesus' disciples had been taught by Jesus, that Jesus himself had said he was going to rise from the dead. So they're like, hey, man, we got to make sure that they don't steal his body. We got to make sure this guy didn't come out of the tomb. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to dispatch a guard of soldiers, and they're going to guard the tomb, right? So they kill Jesus. They butcher him on the cross. They take a spear and jab it up in, into his rib cage, into his heart to make sure he's dead. They take him off. They put him in a tomb. They seal the tomb with a large stone, and then they put a, a guard, a, 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 a battalion of, of soldiers around the tomb, all right? So, so remember, the Roman soldiers were the top army in the world. They actually, if you know anything about the Roman Empire, they had conquered the world, right? So you got, you got the cream of the crop here. You got the army rangers. You got the navy seals, right? You, you got the elite forces, and they've been dispatched with their weapons, and they're going to make sure that Jesus doesn't come out of the tomb, okay? Now, what does God do? I love this. He sends one angel, Okay? Now, actually, God's got lots of them, okay? Can I, can I read you something here? Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. John is seeing this, the voice of many angels. John, how many are there? That's, that's, that's what I'm interested in. And here he tells us, yeah, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. The word myriad means an uncalculable amount, all right? So John sees around the throne these billions or millions, I don't know, he can't count them. He says thousands upon thousands, myriads upon myriads of these angelic beings around the throne of God. And God dispatches 
one, okay? He dispatches one. Now, here's what the one does. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 2, it says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. All right, so God sends one angel. He comes down, descends out of heaven, comes to the earth, and there is an earthquake, okay? Now, again, I don't know, like, how all this looked, but here's what I know the facts are. He came out of heaven, he hits the ground, and there's an earthquake, okay? Now, in all the Christmas pageants, when we see the angels coming down, what do we see? Kind of like this, you know? These dudes in the white robes flapping around, all right? This dude looks like lightning, and when he hits the ground, this is just my own Okay, my, uh, my own imagination. I kind of, I kind of see him landing like Iron Man. Have you seen Iron Man land? You know, when he landed, you know, boom, you know, and it's crap. There's this earthquake, right? He tosses away the stone and then he sits on it. Okay, he sits on it and, and he doesn't, he doesn't do any of that to let Jesus out. He does that to let the women in. Now, what about that guard? What about the Navy Seal? What about the Army Rangers? The, the Scripture tells us in Matthew 28. It says this. Uh, it says they fell down as dead. Verse 4, and for fear from him, the guards trembled. Became, there's not even a fight. There's, there's not even a, a resistance here. There's not even getting formation, guys. These guys fall down at the sight of this one angel trembling in fear. And the only reason he's even there is to roll back the stone because the women are on their way and he wants to show them that Jesus isn't in there anymore. They can't roll away the stone. So he just, he's just opening up the door for the women. That's all he's doing. You know why? That's all he's doing because Jesus doesn't need any help getting out of the tomb because he is unstoppable. All right, guys? He is resurrected from the dead. Whenever the Bible talks about the resurrection, it talks about an unimaginable, power, okay? Now, I want you to think through the power of Jesus' resurrection, okay? One day, he's going to split the skies. We talked about this last week. We looked at it in Matthew 24 and 25. He's going to split the skies. He's going to come back, okay? And it says the dead are going to be raised, okay? Like all the bodies of the saints from the beginning of time until the present of Jesus' resurrection, they will all be raised. How will they be raised? Because they will be joined to Jesus, Okay? If you don't know the gospel here, I want to pause right now and I want to give you a very quick gospel presentation. Okay, Here's the reality. We are broken in our sins. Okay, What that means is we don't even want the right things. We, we, we don't seek God. We don't obey God. We've all transgressed. We've all sinned. We've all broken his commands. We are broken people. And the Bible says that Jesus came from the heavens and, and he came as a man and he lived the perfect life, the life that you and I haven't lived. And then he died a death on the cross to pay for your sins. And the Bible says this, if you will repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, you can be joined to him. Okay, joined to him, connected to him by faith so that not even death can hold you down. So that when he comes back, because you're joined, you're tethered to Jesus Christ, his power of his resurrection body will make you alive. I've been jumping my car, my Honda, uh, all week long, okay? So it's got something wrong. There's something, some short in it or something. So, so I jump in in the morning. I pull my little Toyota Yaris. Isn't it kind of funny when a little bitty car jumps a big car? Like, I, I know they have the same batteries, but it looks funny, doesn't it? You know, like, like I pull my little car, you know, in the garage, and I, I, I hook it up to the Honda, and, and the power from that little bitty car, you know, makes my Honda come alive, you know? And so I've been doing that all week long, and I couldn't help but just think of the reality that every born-again believer is plugged in to Jesus by faith, right? 
we're, we're plugged into Jesus by faith. He splits those skies, and the immense power of his resurrection makes millions alive. I love that. That's the power of the resurrection. And Pilate's like, hey, send the guards over there so that they keep that guy from coming out. Come on, dude. Like, like, you can't keep Jesus down. Now, what does that mean for you and I today? Well, that means that he's unstoppable, right? They couldn't keep him in the tomb. They, they, there's no way to stop the power of the resurrection. So that means that every promise Jesus makes to you, it's going to come true. Romans 8, 28. Maybe you got a mess of a life right now. You know what Romans 8, 28 says? It says, God's working all things together for good to those who love him or are called according to his purpose. Man, and you're like, yeah, but I got this, and yeah, but I got this, and yeah, but I, yeah, all this terrible stuff that's stealing my joy. Yes, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ says that he is unstoppable. You cannot hold him down. You cannot stop him. You cannot keep his word from happening, and he is able to do that. Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, I am sure that he is, he is able to finish, to finish what he started in you. God can do that. We know he can. You ought to have confidence in him because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You ought to know that he cannot be stopped. And you're a part of his kingdom and you're a part of his will if you're a believer here today. Here, here's, 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 here's an exercise, okay, that I think is really helpful. All right, so get a piece of paper and write down all your reasons for despair, right? Like a lot of times we're despairing, a lot of times we're sad, a lot of times we're hopeless, okay? So we feel that, like we run through some people more than others, right? So go ahead and just on the right, on the left side of the paper, write down reasons for despair. And just, just write them all down, man. Financial terrible troubles, right? Job disaster. Family terrible problems, right? Just write them all down, write them all down. Um, my health is just cratering, you just... Just write all, all the reasons for your despair on the left, okay? And now come over on the right side and say, reason, write down this, write down, reasons to rejoice, okay? Now, I, I, don't, I don't want you to write things like, um, I might get a raise or, you know, uh, you don't know that, right? I actually want you to write down actual things that, that we absolutely can be certain on because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, okay? So on the right side of your paper, I want you to write things like, I am forgiven. Like, I will never bear the wrath of God for my sins. I am adopted into God's family. I am loved by my Father. If God is for me, Romans 8, 31, if God's for me, who can be against me? I am redeemed. I am justified. I am sanctified. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I am imbued with the power of the resurrection. The new heavens and the new earth will be mine. God said he will never leave me nor forsake me. I want you to fill that right side up with every promise you see in the word. And then I want you to compare those two lists. And I want you to answer this question which list is more certain which is more permanent the one on the right cannot be thwarted you can't stop it why because you can't stop jesus he's unstoppable he came out of the grave alive which of those lists Control your mood. Which of those lists, which of those lists, and which of them set your internal thermostat? Which of those do you anticipate? You, know, you want to hear a weird thing about us? Here, here's what uh, Charles Spurgeon said. I'm just going to quote him. He said, I wish that we anticipated our joys 
with half the readiness that we anticipate our sorrows. You know what a lot of people spend their life doing? They get that list on the left, and they're just like, oh, man, when's it going to happen? When's, it, when's the other shoe going to drop? When's this thing going to fall apart? When's you, I mean, you know, first of all, a lot of that stuff doesn't happen, you know, but, but, but just their whole life is spent anticipating all of this terrible stuff. Why don't we go over to the list on the right and say, dude, I, this is coming for me. Like, I'm, I'm wanting this. I'm ready for this. This will happen. And I want it. Number one, why should your joy be unstoppable, indomitable? You will rejoice and no one can take away your joy because Jesus is unstoppable in his resurrection. Number two, because being with Jesus is awesome. Okay, look at verse 22. Verse 22, John 16. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Notice he says, I will see you again. I'll see you again and you'll rejoice. Okay, now, here's what I know about this room. Okay, here's what I know about this room at 8.30 and our Kansas campus at 9.45. In every one of those services, here's, here's what I absolutely know. There, are, there were people in the room who that doesn't mean anything to. When Jesus says, I'll see you again, they don't rejoice. There's nothing. And, and it's, it's not, it's just simply they haven't experienced it, right? Like, like if you tell me, hey, pastor, we're having sushi for lunch. Come on over. Okay, here's what you got to know about me. I don't know. Like, is that exciting or not? I, I, I've never had it. Like, I don't, I, so I don't have any way to, like, I know people tell me it's really good. I had someone in the, in the Kansas campus afterwards said, oh, man, it's the, it's the second thing to heaven, you know. I don't know. Like, it's fish eggs. I know that, right? But, like, what is it like? I don't know. Is it like Cocoa Pebbles? Is it like chicken? I, like, I don't, I just don't have, I can't, I can't anticipate it. I can't be like, now, if, if Brian Motzik says, hey, we're having pulled pork that I smoked, I'm like, dude, I'm there, you know. Like, I can taste it now, you know. I'm salivating, okay? Because I, I know what that is. I've experienced Motzik's pulled pork on many occasions, okay? But sushi? I don't know. All right, some, some of you are in this room, and when I say, hey, you know what the resurrection, you know why, you know why it gives us indomitable joy? Because indomitable joy? we're going to see Jesus. And for you, you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, is that good or not? Because you, you haven't experienced that. Now, others of, others of you in this room, you're like, okay, hey, I, man, I, I get you a little bit. Like, I get you. Like, I we're going to see Jesus, and Jesus is awesome. He's the, he's the first and best of beings, and so, so I get that that's going to be really cool, okay? But, but really, it's not something that, like, drives you in anticipation. And then, you know what? There's, there's some other seasoned veterans in here, and when I say you're going to see Jesus, you're going to be with him, you, you know what that did for Paul? In Philippians 3.10, he's, he's in a Roman prison. And he's writing to the church at Philippi. You know what he says? He says, man, he says, you know what my goal with the rest of my life is? He's awaiting execution, by the way. He says, my goal is that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Hold the phone, Paul. You, you, you already know Jesus. You, you met him on the Damascus Road like 30 years ago. 
You were caught up in the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12. You saw things that you told us you couldn't even talk about. And now at the end of your life, you're saying, ah, I just want to know him and the power of his resurrection. You see see where Paul's come from? He has experienced Jesus again and again and again. And so the reality that we serve a living Savior who's alive, who I get to experience all the time. Last night, this is kind of a fun story. I'm sitting on my front porch. It's about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. And I'd just taken a little break from studying, just praying. I was praying for you guys. Just praying, God, please, please reveal yourself this morning, you know. And as I was praying for you, I, I, you know how your prayers kind of drift, you know. I started praying for our missions. I don't know why, but I just, it was kind of on my heart. I was like, God, what, what's the next step for our mission? God, where do you want us to be? Where do you want us to go? How can we take the gospel? I'm just praying about that. My phone rings. I'm a little irritated because someone interrupted my prayer. You know, so I'm like, ah, who is that? And I didn't even recognize the name on it. I was like, who is that? I kind of recognize that. So I opened it, and I, I answered it. And it's a, it's a missionary. He's a missionary from the Northwest, and uh, I met him once, and they were like, hey, I just want you to know I'm going to be in town in May. Uh, can we get together? I'd like to share you some things. And, and I didn't even put it together. Like, I'm just like, okay, yeah, probably. I'll check my calendar. I know I got something that week, but I think that'll work. Uh, text me back when I'm at my office next week, you know, goodbye. And I hang it up, and, I, and then I was like, okay, what was I doing? Oh, yeah, I was praying about our missions. Well, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, like, like just experiencing like, man. Like, Jesus, like, you're, you're, you're taking this thing. You're bringing it all home. You're, you're doing it. And some of you, like, you've experienced him so much that when, when you hear, man, you'll see him again, you're like, oh, man, that is going to be cool, right? Because he's the first and best of beings. Now, others of you, your grandparents, and maybe you don't know Jesus very well, and you see your little toddler tyke, and they're dressed up in their first Easter outfit, you know, bow tie, peach shorts, Yellow shirt. I mean, isn't it great how toddlers get addressed? Don't you wish you could wear shorts to church? You know, I mean, I mean, like they get they get all the cool clothes, right? And you're like, you're you're, you're staring at this line. You're like, that is the first and best of beings right there. Okay, give them about three o'clock this afternoon after they've eaten about a pound of candy. Okay, and you tell me then whether they're the first and best of beings. Okay, but here's the thing about Jesus. He satisfies, man. Do you know what he said about himself? All kinds of incredible things. Like when he feeds the 5,000, he turns around to everybody and he says, guys, I'm the bread of life. And whoever, whoever, whoever gets me, I'll satisfy you. I will satisfy you. Nothing on earth satisfies us. Not for very long. It all disappoints. Isn't that discouraging? It all disappoints. But Jesus says, I will satisfy you. Right, so can you see why, why when, when he tells the disciples, man, you're going to see me, you're going to rejoice, and nobody's going to take your joy away. Number three, the worst the world can do to you is death. And death is defeated in Christ's resurrection. Now, listen, if you're not joined to Jesus, here's the really bad news. Death is the end for you. Like, it literally is the end of everything. It's the end of relationships. It's the end of your influence. It's the end of purpose. It's the end of satisfaction. It's the end of anticipation. It's the end of hope. It's the end of accomplishment. It's the end of laughter. It's the end of your ability to help those you love. It is literally the end, okay? But for those joined to Jesus, I'm telling you, man, you got to come someday 
Whenever this church loses a great saint, like somebody who just poured out their life for Jesus, you got to come to the funeral. It is, it is so weird. It's this mixture of we are so sad to lose them and this triumphal victory of what they just stepped into. You know? It's just, it's a weird deal. Like, like people come to me like, was that a funeral? I couldn't tell. You know, like it seemed like you guys were really happy they're gone. Did you not like them? You know? No, we're just happy for them. Because, man, they're joined to the resurrection. Finally, why should your joy be unstoppable? Because the resurrected Jesus is alive. And listen, oh, this is so good. The Father can't wait to give you all kinds of things in Jesus' name. Do you see where Jesus goes with this? I'm going to read it again. Start in verse 22. You'll have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. No one will take away your joy. Next verse. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you'll receive. And then listen, that your joy will be full. Your joy will be filled up the more that you do this. Okay, so here's the formula, all right? You ready? You discern what to ask for by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you got you to figure out what to ask for. Number two, you ask in Jesus' name. The Father gives it to you, and your joy is multiplied, okay? Now, you, you know what I like is when Jesus says something over and over and over again, we ought to pay attention to that, okay? Let me back you up. Ready? Here, we're going to go real fast. John 14, 13. Um, here we go. My eyes got blurry. Sorry. 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. Uh, John 15, um, 17, 16. Uh, you do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and the fruit should abide. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, uh, I will give to you these things I command you that, that you love one another. Um, next chapter, John 16, 24. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. Three, four times. He says it over and over again. Okay. Now what's he saying? Well, first of all, Jesus is alive. Okay. He's alive. And you remember what he told us would happen? He said, I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to send to the Father. I'm going to send the Spirit. And you know what the Spirit's going to do? He's going he's to actually teach you what to ask for. Here, here's the crazy thing. In our brokenness, we don't know what to ask for. We always ask for things that won't really satisfy. In, in, in Romans 8, Romans 8, 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't, we don't know what to pray for. You see, with, without, without the Holy Spirit, like we're asking for all, we're asking for little bitty pleasures, you know, when we could be asking our Father for things that would fill us with joy. And so Jesus says, you're going to see me again? Man, your, your joy is going to be full. You know why? Because you're going to come to the Father. John 15, 7, he says, my word's going to be in you. You're going to be in my word, and you're going to know what to ask. Guys, do you know what to ask for? You're like, yeah, a new motorcycle, right? I, actually, I like motorcycles. Colt Asher is super mad at me for selling my motorcycle. Like Every time we pass one, he's like, are you going to buy another one, Dad? You know, I really like that. That's a small joy. That's small. Do you know what to ask for? You're like, yeah. Then I would get to marry that one person, right? That I really want. 
Man, I'm telling you, there's a whole long list of people that got what they wanted and figured out that wasn't the joy I thought it was going to be. Just because marriage is hard. That's why we're teaching a marriage class. <laughs> it's hard. You're like, mine isn't. I'm like, welcome to marriage. You're a honeymooner, aren't you? Second day. Two weeks. There you go. It's hard. Do you know what to ask? See, Jesus says, if you'll get in here by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'll teach you what to ask for. And then you'll ask it in my name. You know what it means to ask in Jesus' name? It's not just like something you tag on. It's like I'm asking on the merit of Jesus. You see, who, who, who am I to come before the throne of God and ask for stuff? Like, I'm a sinner. I don't have a right to do that. You see, you see how crazy that is? I mean, let's, let's tone it way down. Do I have the right to come up to Bonnie and say, hey, Bonnie, I like y'all's house over on, uh, where's that in? Wildwood? I like it in Wildwood. I want it. Can you give it to me? You know, Kenny's back there saying, who are you to ask for our house, right? You're not even our kid. So who are you to come before God and ask for things? Jesus says, hey, I'm alive. And I'm sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. You come to the Father and you ask in my name. You ask because of me. You ask because of what I've done for you. And then, man, here's the Christian life. You figure out what to ask. You come and ask in Jesus' name. Because of Jesus, the Father gives. And your joy just keeps climbing. Man, I want you to have that. He is alive. And your joy, your joy can be indomitable. If you're separated from Jesus this morning, oh man, how I want you to turn direction in your life. Man, I want God just to reveal to you that, man, just try and do it yourself, trying to be a good person, or just not even trying. And that's why I lived for a while, long time of my life. I didn't even try. I just, I thought joy was somewhere else. Man, I, I want you to turn from your sin and believe, trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I ask you, God, to just make real, make clear, make beautiful the resurrection of Jesus in the hearts and minds of those here today. God, I pray that they would just be just so excited that you are alive. You're alive to save. You're alive to to rescue us from death and from sin, from the grave, from our own, our own messed upness. God, please save. Please rescue. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? We're gonna sing together.